Amen. So good being in this house. Wow, you have, there's a lot of people here from last time. I, I remember when we were in King's, the King's Bar. How many was with us at the King's Bar? Wow. Was it King, what was it called? King Bar. Okay. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this house. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. And I thank you that you've uh, called us, that, that you've set before us life, and that you've given us freedom. And I thank you even for, for what you were given Marcus, just this aspect of, of being a free person instead of a slave. And uh, Lord, we do receive our freedom in the name of Jesus. We, we love you and honor you. And uh, we just we make choices today to just join with you with what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Yes. Before I jump into the message, I want to bring uh, just show you a couple of items. I brought a group of CDs, mostly worship CDs uh, from from IHOP. I brought it for, the, for just a, uh, I thought some of you might like some of it. You know, it's a Jason Upton. Uh, we, we have some, uh, there's, I think there's a little bit of Misty back there. Uh, there's this uh, Harp and Bowl. How many tuned into our uh, our webcam and to our page? And uh, and this is this is just more or less Harp and Bowl. We have both Alan and Mike and Dwayne Roberts praying over this. So it's a mixture of worship and intercession. And uh, it's just really good. Uh, we also have this uh, a songbook of Misty CD, Misty Edwards CD on Relentless, and uh, and you know it, there's no music to this one here. Okay, I want you to know that. And uh, but these are there's incredible stuff. Uh, just music back here. Grab a hold of. It. I don't want to carry it around. <laughs> and um, and so because I, I got about three more weeks. So let's see. There you go. I need a musician. I need a musician. Who's a musician that needs a songbook? Come here, Marcus. Mark. And this is this is the this is the standing on the wall uh, in Kansas City. Who wants this? Okay. There we go. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, I, I'm going to, uh, for the both at Seaside and Hillside, I, I spoke on the bride of Christ. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and speak on something different. But I want to challenge you to go to the, to those, uh, to the website, to the and, and, uh, Hillside or to the, the Philly website, and listen to these so- sermons. And uh, and reason I, I want to challenge you because there's a mystery that that the Lord is unpacking in this hour, and it's about the heavenly bridegroom coming after His bride. It's about Jesus coming and establishing His kingdom on earth. And in this hour, the Father is preparing a bride. There's a wedding that's going to take place, and guess what? You and I get to participate. It's really about you 
being equally yoked with Jesus, the end of the age, and the bridegroom Jesus coming back for his bride. I mean, that's, what, that's your heritage. And all of creation, all of the word speaks about a wedding. I mean, I, I, I kid you not, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, you find these pictures, these markings of, of weddings. And, and, and how many likes weddings? <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's actually, if you look in the scripture, there, there's basically uh, romantic, uh, just love love. Just love songs. It's written. There, there's uh, how many likes a a movie, a good just love movie. Just a, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're made for we're made for love. What's your favorite movie? Chick flick movie. Come on. Now, no, notebook. Okay, what else? No, you really, you know, guys sit back kind of stoic. But, you know, if you if, if you really watch the guys during a, a chick flick, you know, they're weeping, they're crying. You, say, you know what I'm talking about? It's a love story. We're made for that. And uh, my, my favorite one is I love Princess Bride. How many, how many likes Princess Bride? Oh, I just, I, I think it's so awesome. I mean, a little bit of everything in that. But, you know, I, I think that's natural for us to love that. It's because God's created us for a drama that unfolds over history. And we're a part of this drama. You really are. And I want to challenge you. To, to, to begin unpacking your scripture, unpacking your life in such a way to reveal and see this love story that's unpacking that you're in. You know, the, the truth is, G, uh, Mark has made a statement that Lord loves families. I want you to know this is what it's all about. The father is jealous, zealous for two things, for sons He's after sons. He wants to be your father. But he's also jealous for, for a bride for his son. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen in, 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 in not far, long, far away from now. And we need to get ready. And, and Revelation 19 says that the bride made herself ready. We need to get ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for this thing to unfold? That you were made to be with Jesus. In the Genesis 1, clear to Revelation, you were made with an intent to be a bride. Now, I know guys, are your, my, my kids, my boys, is said, Dad, I don't like this. I don't like the feeling of being called a bride. It's over. Get over it. Just get over it. Get over your that, that aspect that stands in the way of you really being the bride of Christ. So I want to challenge you 
This is your story. You can find it with Adam and Eve. You can find it with Rebecca. You can find it with Esther. You can find it with Ruth. You can find it in Hosea. You can find it all through uh, through Jeremiah, Isaiah. It's all about a wedding. You can find Jesus' first ministry started at a wedding. His last public appearance, he tells a parable that there was this father that, that prepared the table for a wedding for his son. I mean, it's all about weddings. I'm a pastor. I love to do weddings. It's so cool. But I, 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 want, I tell you that because I want you to understand this is your destiny to be the bride of Christ. Let it be unpacked in your heart. I gave a few small portions in those sermons. And, uh, but I want you to know, Jesus, that the Father, the Holy Spirit, He's jealous. And He'll show up. When you start talking about the royal wedding, oh, He is so jealous. So, I, I guarantee. But this, mo- this evening, I want to shift gears. I want to talk about something totally different. And, uh, and some of you, you're not familiar with IHOP. The other campus, more familiar with IHOP and what we do and, and why we do what we're doing. And, you know, for this year, we celebrate our 13th year of night and day prayer and worship. 13 years, nonstop. I mean, we, we have a sanctuary, about eight to 900 people. And for, for, for 13 years, the, the, the worship and ministry unto God has not stopped. And uh, it's not about necessarily ministering to people. It's about ministering to God. But when we minister unto God, people get ministered to. And so for 13 years, this is what we've been doing. And uh, I, my wife and I, we've just celebrated our eighth year in Kansas City. And uh, we love what we're doing. And uh, the interesting thing about my wife and I is every eight years, I mean, our prophetic history, every eight years, God switches stuff on us. I mean, he transitions us, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a whole different vein of what we were doing. And, and so we realized, we said, well, something's up. What's going on? It was, this is the eighth year. And so we begin praying. We begin asking the Lord, what's up for the next season? Now, I'll be honest, I'm 54 years old. Say, wow, that you're old. And, uh, and, but, but I realized that if, if God's switching stuff, the next eight years, I'll be 62. That's getting old. And eight more years, that's 70. I'm just getting young then. And, uh, but, but then all of a sudden, but, you know, I'm beginning to say these eight years, they're so important that we hear the voice of God. And that we make sure that the next eight years is impactful. I want to make sure that as I live these eight years, that, that God's had the prophetic history of doing in our lives, that we're hitting the mark, the most impactful that we can do in all of our life. Can, what can we do, Lord, to be impactful? You know, it's a natural desire in every one of our hearts to be impactful. And, uh, and so we, my wife and I, we've been praying. We said, God, what's up? 
Now, I'm not telling you we're moving from IHOP. I don't think that's it. But there have been shifts that's going on with, with some of the different dynamics of what the Lord has in store for us and for us to commit for these next eight years. But in the process, we went through an evaluation of asking the Lord, why are we doing what we're doing? And, uh, and I came up with about six reasons, five, six reasons. And I want to share those reasons of why we're doing what we're doing. Now, what we're doing at IHOP uh, uh, is it's like we, we everybody, if you're on staff at IHOP, you spend 24 hours in the prayer room every week. You do 24 hours at least of ministry every week. And uh, there, there's that commitment of a sacred trust of that prayer room. And so we're doing that. We're, we're spending long hours. And, 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 uh, and it, sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's not easy. It's not always glorious. Sometimes it's very difficult. And, and so we've been asking, why are we doing this? Remind us, God, why we're doing what we're doing. And I want to challenge you. You need to be asking a very similar question of what's going on in your lives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Do you need to make changes? Is God making changes? Why are you doing what you're doing? And so I begin in these questions. I had six six answers. Why are we doing night and day prayer, long hours? Why are we doing this? And the the first uh, the first one was that God deserves all the glory. The Lord is worthy of night and day prayer. The Lord is. Worthy of being worshipped continually around the clock. He deserves all our adoration. And uh, I was actually traveling, uh, taking a group of missions down to Myanmar. And we were traveling through Hong Kong. And, and I, my team was in an open air bus in, in Hong Kong. How many have been in Hong Kong? Beautiful city. And we, we were traveling in this open air bus looking up at all these high rises and where these people were living and... One of the young ladies, she begins just weeping. I said, Katie, I said, what's going on? What's the deal? And, and she says, well, Jesus, he deserves all their worship. He deserves all their adoration. And I want you to know here today, the Lord Jesus deserves all the adoration, all the worship of all the people of Seoul, Korea. He really does. He deserves it all. So we're doing that. We're doing what we're doing because he deserves it. Number two, we're doing what we're doing out of sheer obedience. God said so. That's good enough. That's an important reason. If God says something, you need to do it. The third reason is is because he prophesied night and day prayer. Jesus made this statement. He says, my house, my house, the place where I belong, the place where I'm at, will be a house of prayer for all nations. My house shall be a house of prayer. If, if a place, if a church is his house, it'll be a place of prayer. It'll be a place of intimacy with God. If it's his house, Jesus prophesies this. Do you understand what I mean when Jesus prophesied? When Jesus prophesied, it's not like you and I prophesy. You and I, we prophesy in part. Okay? And half the time we miss what we're prophesying. 
But Jesus doesn't miss. He said, in that hour, my house will be a house of prayer. For real. And Jesus, this is Jesus saying this. And so, now, I, I want to challenge you. Now, I tell people, a lot of people say, well, we can't do what you're doing. You shouldn't do what we do in IHOP. I, I don't even, I tell people, I try to talk people out of trying to do night and day, 24 hours, seven days a week. I said, don't do it. It's, you can't do it. It's, don't do it. <laughs> and, and, and the more you tell them, don't do it, the more they want to do it. I said, but I'm really telling you the truth. Don't do it. And, uh, and uh, I said, you'll wear your people out. You don't have enough people. You don't want to do this thing. God's given Kansas City a special grace to do this thing. And, and, and not everybody wants to do it. The, uh, but the crazy thing is, especially in the Asian world, if you tell a group of Koreans, don't do it, <laughs> we can do it. I mean, so all of a sudden, that, that almost that, it's a. It, it's not necessary spirit, but something else kicks in. We can do it, and uh, and, and uh, but anyway, my my point is, it's not necessary. God's looking for praying churches that has prayer at the very f- forefront, and they're looking to God for the answers of how they're they're to lead their church. I mean, this is a praying church. This this house is a people of prayer, hearing God's voice, walking out what God's saying. This is a praying people, and God's this is God's house. But listen, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of churches that has is void of prayer, and I want to suggest to you that it might not be His house. It just might. Now there's, they got the name, okay? They got a cross on the front door. They say that Jesus is there. But I want to suggest if prayer is not a central portion of what's going on, it might not be his house. So that's the third reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, the fourth reason, I love to tell this fourth reason. The fourth reason. I'm doing what I'm doing is because I love the presence of God. Now, I know you, 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 uh, this house loves to get into the presence of God, right? You love the presence of God. I love the presence of God. And uh, I know uh, I, King David, King David wrote Psalms 27, 4. He said, one thing I desire, one thing I want is to, to dwell in the presence of God. Dwell in his house all my days. This is the thing I want. I'm convinced that King David wrote that after he had overtaken and entered into the fullness of his kingdom. Over his rulership. I mean, David... Went, was anointed as king as a probably a 15-year-old young man. And it took almost 20 years before he entered into the fullness of his kingdom. But I'm convinced that he was sitting late one night, looking out over the city, looking out, out over his kingdom. He says, uh-oh, something's missing. It's the presence of God. One thing I want, one thing I desire is God. He said, he's not here. Now, in those days, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. 
You know what I mean? It was the Ark of the Covenant. So David says, okay, I know what happened. I remember the stories of Samuel. That in his, Samuel was a young man. That, that the Ark of the Covenant was carried away to another nation. And, and it, it's dwelling out there in the desert. And, and I, I, I need to go get it and bring it in. So he, he sets a mission team up. They go out to get it. And they mishandle it. They handle it the way the, the other group of people did. And the Philistines did. And they, it, it didn't work out good. I mean, I mean, it says that Uzzah, he, he reached up in the midst of a threshing floor as he went down into this hill, off this hillside and, and he says, God broke out and killed Uzzah. And, and David said, this isn't good. He said, I really wanted the presence of God. I didn't want to get killed. And so David goes back in, but there's still this thing that's yearning in his heart to have God's presence in, into the city, into the midst of his kingdom. And he, he, he began studying. He studied uh, all the different manuals of how to get the presence of God in there. He studied the Word. He studied how did this happen. And so he comes up with how to bring it in. And so he, he actually, in the midst of that, he had parked the Ark of the Covenant in, in, in a guy's house named Obadidim. And uh, in Obadiah's house, it says in the word that, that his house just flourished. Everything became good in Obadiah's house. I mean, uh, the crops, they flourished. Everything. Uh, in, in Obadiah's house, I mean, everything became good. The cattle, they, they just became beautiful. And even his wife probably was ugly and she became beautiful. <laughs> I mean, everything happened really awesome in Obadiah's house. And so David said, we have to have it in, in, in the city. And so David, he goes out, he brings it in in a place of celebration. Once he brings it into the city, it says that he places the ark in a tent. Can you imagine? He placed it in a tent. And once he placed it in the tent, he established worshipers and singers around the ark of the covenant to minister Unto God. Listen, we've come a long way in our church services, right? I mean, this is, this is God's, how God wants it. Ministering unto the Lord. We're all talking about ministering to each other. We're all self, self-ministry. And, 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 but God's saying, no, no, no. Unto me. Ministering to the Lord. And so they, they, they established the first night and day prayer meeting. And they called it the, 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 uh, the, the David's tabernacle, a dwelling place for God. Now, I want you to know, it says in Amos that uh, and it's a prophetic word given by Amos about the end times, about the day in which we're living. He says, in that hour, I will reestablish, I'll rebuild, I'll, re, I'll rebirth this tabernacle of David in this hour. He's going to rebirth, he's going to rebuild, and in this hour, guys... He's raising up the tabernacle of David all across the earth. It's really cool. And I've had the privilege to go to countless numbers of houses of prayer and churches that's ministering to the Lord in in, in that spirit of the tabernacle of David. And uh, and the crazy thing, I want to share this part. In that day, David said, God, I want to build a permanent dwelling place for you. He said, David, you can't do this. You're a man of war. And he said, but your son, 
the son of David, Solomon. Solomon, he will be the one that will build the permanent dwelling place. You can only do the, the temporary dwelling place. Listen, in this hour, he's telling us we can do the temporary dwelling place, the tabernacle of David, but there's coming again a son of David. His name is Jesus, and he will build the permanent dwelling place of God. Are you with me? You know, this, this temporary dwelling place, this is the opportunity for Gentiles. And it says that the, the Gentiles will actually provoke the Jews to jealousy in the midst of this thing. Oh, listen, God is raising up, restoring the tabernacle of David in this hour, in the day in which we live. It's happening. And that's the reason, that's one of the reasons I do what I do. But I love the presence. Now, I want to tell you, the presence of God in Kansas City is kind of cool. And uh, sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't, but sometimes it gets really crazy. I mean, think about 13 years of ministering to God. And uh, I remember we see healings break out. We see all many different things just break out in the midst of what we're doing. And uh, I remember uh, one man. Um, a friend of mine, he, he calls me up and he says, listen, I have a dear friend that I'm trying to minister to. And he said he's really battling many illnesses. Actually, his back is messed up. His leg is messed up. He's constantly complaining about the issues that's going on in his life. He said his marriage is terrible. He's battling with depression. He said, my plan, Rodney, is I want to travel across the northern part of the United States and just minister to, spend time with him. And then I want to bring him down to Kansas City. And he said, that'll be the end of our trip. I said, that's great. Sounds like a great plan. Bring him on. He said, it'll be probably about 10 days. And about a third day after he said it'll be 10 days, he calls me. He said, can I come to Kansas City now? I said, what's going on? He said, he said I can't handle this no more. He said, this man is totally complaining. I, I, he's just driving me crazy. He said, I, 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 my back is beginning to hurt like his back. He said, I, I, I'm just, I'm hearing all these different things. And, and he said, I'm getting depressed. He said, I, I don't know what to do. Can I bring him to Kansas City? I said, bring him on. So they, all of a sudden they show up the next day or, or later that day, actually. And uh, and uh, and uh, he was so desperate to get rid of this guy, and and as soon as, as soon as he got to Kansas City, they get out at our house, and when he gets out, he the guy, I saw what he was talking about. The guys, oh, woe is me! And he's just murmuring and grumbling, and and I was, oh my goodness, we need to get him to the house of prayer. And so we get him to the house of prayer. They walk as soon as we walk in, this guy gets touched, hit. I mean, pounded by the Spirit of God. And he walks in and he starts weeping and crying. And, uh, and then the guy hears the voice of God. And, he, and God says, go outside, call your wife, and tell her you love her. I mean, his marriage was almost totally void. It was, it was really bad. He said, and God said, go out, call your wife, and tell her you love her. He said, no, this is too good. I don't want to talk to her. And, uh, and, uh, and, and God said, God said, no, you go out and t- tell her now. And so finally, after, after battling with God for 15 minutes, he goes outside and g- I give you this guy is not very bright. 
Not very smart. Because he gets on the phone, he calls his wife, and he says, Dear, he said, I, I've heard God, and God said to call you. And God said to tell you I love you. Now, that's not very smart. She said, well, do you love me? She said, of course I do. He said, well, you've not told me in 20 years. He hangs up. He walks back into the prayer room. And as soon as he walks into the prayer room, the Spirit of the Lord hits him. His back is instantaneously healed. His leg is healed. Depression breaks. His marriage is healed. Belinda and I was in Canada the next year, and we're up front. We're watching, and here comes the guy and his wife. They're walking down the aisle just to, to greet us. And I'm going, wow, it works. The presence of God works. Listen, there's freedom in the presence of God. Oh, I'm, I'm, I want you to know this. This is amazing. When God shows up, things shift. And, and, and we're cultivating the presence of God through ministering unto the Lord. You know, there's power in the presence of God. Oh, I love the presence of God. I know you do too. I, I, I've, I've been in this house so many times, and I know that this place loves the presence of God. And I'm, I'm telling you, go after more of His presence. And uh, I was literally, I was sharing over at Seaside, or not Seaside, but over at Hillside. I'm getting every all the sides of it stuff here, and uh, but 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 one of the words over there was was the d- dynamics that, that was several years ago. One of our leaders got a word, and it was this. He said, "For a people without mixture, God will give His Spirit without measure." And uh, and the, the reality is this: How much do you want of Him? How much do you want? Remove the mixture. Receive the fullness of God. And, uh, and then the, the fifth reason. And, you know, many years ago, I was preaching this fifth reason is the main reason. And I realized you couldn't do the, this reason. I'm about to tell you until you'd really do the other reasons. And, uh, and uh, it was really Luke 18. And it was called the justice of God. We do what we do because of the justice of God. But you can't do the justice of God without the presence of God. And, and it all goes together. And you have to make sure that this justice doesn't become your main thing because it becomes legalism. And, uh, and so prayer can become legalistic if we do it for the wrong reasons. And uh, so, but the aspect of Luke 18 is a beautiful parable. How many knows the Luke 18? Oh, I get to tell you something you don't know. Oh, my goodness. It's one of the most amazing parables in the entire Bible. And uh, it's a story where Jesus pulls his disciples in uh, late one night. I'm sure they had fish on the grill, and, and, and the, he invites them in. He says, I want to tell you a parable that you might always pray, that you might always have this continual prayer, and you might not lose heart. Now, how many of you have prayed and lost heart? Come on. Okay, now, listen, if you... If you've not lost heart in the midst of prayer, then you're probably not praying. <laughs> See, when I, when I ask that question, I kind of know who's praying. 
Because if you've not lost heart in the midst of contending and praying, you're not praying too much. And in the dynamics, Jesus knew this. He said, come on, guys. I want to tell you this parable, that as you pray, you will not lose heart. He said, I want to encourage you. He says that in a certain city, there was a judge, an unjust judge, that really didn't care about people, nor did he really fear God. He said, also in this city was a widow. This widow, she was... Uh, she, uh, when, you, when you're a widow, a widow has lost her husband. She's lost certain rights in the city and, and certain rights. He said, this widow, she had issues that was going on in her life. She had injustice that had taken place. He said, this widow, she came before this unjust judge. And he says, give me justice. And he said, no, get out of here. I don't want you around me. Leave me alone. And she, she said, no, I want justice. I want justice. You're the one that can give it to me. Therefore, give me justice. And, and, and she kept pressing in. He kept saying no. She said yes, no, yes. And, and there was this battle that was going on. And, uh, and I, I, want, I want you to know, uh, I'm convinced that this widow was a Korean woman. <laughs> Have you been in the subways here? I mean, I mean, I, I've been actually bumped by, by, by Ajima, and, uh, I'm convinced this is an Ajima. And, and I had one Ajima in a subway. She had her cane because I was standing in the wrong place and she's beating my feet. And, uh, and, she, and I was, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. This was an Ajima. And, and when this judge got into the subway, he gets off the subway, the Ajima's there, and he says, give me justice. And when he take, when this guy takes his wife out to the best Korean barbecue place, this Ajima's there, and she says, give me justice now. And, and everywhere he went, the Ajima was there. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Come on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The Ajima was there. And you don't mess with the Ajima. We were actually down in Seaside uh, earlier in the year. And Caleb and I was riding a bicycle. And uh, we were riding over actually to the new Seaside facility. And as we're riding along, all of a sudden, uh, we're all kind of beeping our horn to get people out of our way. And all of a sudden, this Ajima catches Caleb's eyes. And, and she's basically pointing, just daring, daring him to run over her. And she's standing there just like this. And Caleb stops and almost flips over when he stops. And, and he, he stops and he, he says, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. He was so scared. And I, I want you to know that this is what was going on. This, this Ajima was demanding justice of this unjust judge. And finally... He says, okay, you're wearing me out, therefore I'll give it to you. Not because I care, just because you're messing with me. I can't handle you no more. And Jesus says this, he says, see what the unjust judge said. How much more will the God of justice bring justice for those that cry out to their God night and day? He says, I tell you the truth. He will bring it quickly. He'll bring it quickly and speedily on your behalf. Now, I want to ask this question. What is this thing called justice? 
What is justice all about? What does that mean? What does it look like? What are, what are we saying when we ask God to bring justice here in Seoul or in your home? Come on, help me a bit. What does that mean? What are some of the things we need justice for? Cassandra. Come on. She, she, she knows all the answers back there. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the breaking of the power of everything that's wrong. It's making wrong things right. It's breaking the power of, of, of abortion. It's breaking the power of suicide. It's breaking the power of human trafficking. It's breaking the power of everything wrong that's going on. It's, it's bringing healing to your marriage. It's bringing healing to everything in your life. It's God breaking in and making wrong things right. That's justice. You know, it's available to you. It's really available to you. God wants to bring justice. I'll tell you a story about IHOP. And uh, in our area, in Kansas City, it was one of the worst areas in the very beginning of any area in Kansas City. High crime rate, prostitution, drug trafficking, drive-by shootings, murder. You name it, our area had it. It was really, really bad. After three years of night and day prayer unto the Lord, calling out for justice, the local press reported to uh, the, the local authorities reported to the press a reduction of crime of over 70 percentile. 70 percentile. The local the press goes to the local authorities and says, what was going on? Have you added police? Have you added programs? What have you done differently? And, and, and the and the uh, local authority says, we've not done anything. He said, but we do know what's going on. We do know what's happening. There's a group of people here in Kansas City, in this area, that's been calling out to their God night and day. And it's their God. And he's broken in and he's shifted everything in our area. Come on. That's justice. Justice is revival breaking in. You know, it's not, it, God breaks in on the place of prayer and establishes justice in our community, in our life, in every area. That's justice. Now, the, the interesting thing, at the very end of Luke 18, and, uh, and I, I think it's God taking that whole parable and repositioning it in our day and time. He says this. He said, he said nevertheless, after he says he'll, he'll bring justice, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What? What do you mean, Jesus? That's out of context. No, it's not out of context. It's Jesus. And, uh, and he's, but what is he talking about? Will he find faith before the Son of Man comes? He's taking the whole parable and placing it in our hour before the coming of the Lord. And he says, listen, will I find faith? I've noticed in the midst of looking through the Gospels, Jesus had a wonderful ministry. And it was all about teaching his disciples about faith. True discipleship is building faith. And, and the dynamics of how he did it is amazing. His, his lesson plans. I mean, he would literally come in. He would teach. He'd tell them how to do something. Then he'd 
He said, well, show, I'll show you how to do it. He'd come in and lay hands. He'd bring healing to their eyes. And then he'd say, now go do it. And they're going, what? I showed you. I told you how. I showed you how. Now go do it. And, and it was their aspect of building faith. They would go out doing it. Then they'd come back celebrating. It worked. It worked. This is faith. This is and, and Jesus was interesting in building faith in those young men because he knew that he was going to be with the Lord in the days ahead and that they were going to be the pillars that the new church, that our church in the days ahead would be built upon. In our hour, he's interesting in you being a people of faith. Are you with me? Now, now the question is, what is faith? What is faith? What does that really mean? Glad you asked. In, in Hebrews eleven six, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. And it says faith is two things. It's a simple thing. Two things. Faith is believing that God is. Number one. Two is faith is believing that God is a rewarder of those who call upon him. Two things. Now, the first thing, believing that He is, I believe He really means this. Believing that God is a big God. And that He's able to deal with the any issues going on in your life. I remember many years ago, it was during the revival meetings. It was probably before some of you were even born. And uh, it was back in the early 90s, and, and we were in this one meeting, and, and it was kind of setting, a setting like this. There's probably about 2,000 people. And all of a sudden, this one man, he stands up and he shouts, Big God! And he sits down. And then, all, then five minutes later, he steps up again, and he says, Big God! And afterwards, somebody asked him. I mean, he was a reputable guy. He thought this guy's really lost it, but he's a reputable guy. And, and he said, what happened? He said, well, I got a revelation. That God's a big God. <laughs> I want to suggest to you that faith is believing that God's a big God. That he's bigger than all your circumstance. There's nothing... In all of heaven and earth, bigger than your God, that your God cannot handle. I don't care what's going on in your life, whether it's the finances or marital issues or health issues or, 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 or whatever it is. Your God is a big God. Now, you, that's the first part of believing. You have to believe this. If you don't believe it, you don't have faith. Faith is believing that your God's a big God. Now, the second part. Is you must believe that your big God answers your prayers. He created the universe that he moves based on your voice because he loves partnerships with you and I. He doesn't do anything without you moving. And, and you have to believe, you have to believe that he answers when you call upon him. I was standing in the prayer room leading a prayer meeting one day. And uh, as I'm standing there, a, a young 
18, 19-year-old girl comes to the mic. And I'm standing over here to the side. She comes up and she begins praying for a nation in Africa that I, I, I had never, ever heard of. And, uh, and she's, she's just praying. I'm standing over here. And, and the Lord draws my attention. And he says to me, he says, she believes that I'm going to answer her prayers. And he said, guess what? He said, I am. Listen, our God is a big God. And he's a rewarder of those who call upon him. That's faith. That's faith. Faith. Are you believing that your God's big? Are you trusting that he will answer you? Now, one of the biggest issues, and I'll end with this, one of the biggest issues in the church, I believe, is the issue of unbelief. Or we might also call the opposite of faith, fear. Fear that God won't answer. Or, but, but the real issue is this place of unbelief. And we see a story when, where these disciples come in after one of those mission journeys, one of those testings. We send them out. And they come back in to camp. And they start telling Jesus, Oh, you ought to saw it. The demons fled. They were hundreds of healings. It was the most incredible ministry trip we ever had. I mean, it was amazing. God was amazing. And, uh, and so, and, and as they're, he's standing there, they're standing there telling Jesus all the stories, all the testimonies. There was a man, he comes up and he says, hey, listen, he said, I saw your ministry. It was really cool. But listen, I have a son that's demonized. And the demons, they literally take my son and throw him in the fire. And, and I need for you to heal him. I need you to set him free. I'm sure that his disciples went over and laid hands and that they tried to do something and nothing happened. And, 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 and the, uh, the father gets a little angry. He said, can't you do something? Can you do it? They said, no, I guess the anointing has gone. So you better go home and come back tomorrow. And, and they were resisting, resisting the father. And the father's making a lot of noise. And Jesus says, hey, what's going on? What's the deal? And he said, and the guy says, well, I brought my son who's demonized to your disciples, but they can't do nothing. He says, sir, Jesus, master, he said, can you do anything? Are you able? Now he's talking to Jesus. Are you able, sir? And Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. You know that story. All things are possible for those who believe. But the unique thing about that story is this. This guy wanted the healing so much that he gets honest with Jesus about his unbelief. He said, yes, yes, I believe, but I also have unbelief. I believe, but I have unbelief. And Jesus said, correct, good answer. I like that answer. Therefore, your son is healed. I believe he got so honest. You know, typically, good religious people don't give that response. Right? Most of us say, of course we believe. Yes, Jesus, I'm a man of faith. 
We get religious on Jesus. Don't we? Come on, I want you to know that. Don't we get religious on Jesus? If you've been around the church long enough, you know the church gets religious on Jesus. And I guarantee you, you probably do too. We all get a little religious. But Jesus don't like religion. Jesus likes relationships. Jesus doesn't like religion. He likes to do the stuff. Listen today. As we close. I just, uh, I believe that probably there's some of you in here that needs to get honest with God about your faith. Some of you are saying, well, I do believe. And you do. You really do. But someplace deep within you is this thing called unbelief. And it's just, I mean, it's wrecking your your, your dynamics, you, you've given way for the devil to, to mess with your faith. You, there, there's fear that God will not answer you. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm going to answer. He said, but I need for you to deal with the unbelief in your heart. Remember the parable, when the Son of Man comes, will they be faith on earth? You just stand up. Bring the work.